as I'm curious, as political professionals like you guys are, mm-hmm. what did you think of Biden's rollout? Like, what was good about it? What was bad about it? What would you have done differently? Like this first week. To be honest, I I don't think I would have done anything differently. Hmm. I thought it was I thought it was good, and um, I mean his fundraising numbers were good. I thought his you know his his event was good. Um, he got a big endorsement with the firefighters. He rolled out a number of endorsements, you know, period, which a lot of candidates have not been able to do. I don't know. I thought I thought it was. You know, I, I mean, I can't. It's hard to compare anything to our rollout because I thought our rollout in 2015 was pretty fucking awesome. But we were also three candidates in the race, and we had a ton of staff and a ton of resources, and we did that big thing at Roosevelt Island, which was great. So, I mean, I feel like it's kind of hard to compare anything else to that. But I don't know. What do you think? Do you you sound skeptical? No, no, I, Doug. What do you think? What do you, do you think it was a great, think it was a great rollout? I, I mean, look, I'd give it a B. I think that uh, yeah. the 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 question. I think, look, the debate you could have is over the launch video, um, whether or not that was the okay. right tone to set. I, I wasn't entirely sure. I think you could look. I think what it did was establish a rationale for his candidacy, which is really important to your point about some of these other candidates who, um, you know, haven't really presented a clear rationale for their candidacy. I think Biden did that with sort of anchoring it in the Charlottesville event with Trump. And that was the that was the moment when he sort of got called into, you know, called to duty. You know, but look, other people and they and I don't disagree with them, you know, would say, well, you know, he needed to tell a bit more personal story about himself, maybe lean into some issues, et cetera. I think there's going to be time for that. I think a lot of people know who Joe Biden is, too. Um, so, look, they made a decision to go that direction. I think they probably had another video uh, in the in, in the can as well that was probably a bit more aspirational. But what it did is, look, it really sort of focused the race on Donald Trump uh, for the Biden campaign, Biden campaign in a way that uh, other can- campaigns haven't focused on him. And that served him well the last week, I think. Yeah, I feel like he's the I, one guy like, who doesn't have to talk about his bio in his um, in the video because everybody knows him. But sorry, you were saying? I had heard that they were going to do a speech in Charlottesville. I'm not sure if there was an actual rumor or just a, or just a, a media getting things wrong thing. And mm-hmm. I thought a speech in Charlottesville had the potential to be very complicated because what do you say? How do you describe it? Like when I heard right. that, I was like, oh, that sounds like a bad idea. Mm-hmm. But the video I thought was good. Like I said, I think the world was pretty good. And I think they avoided making any big mistakes, which I think is an important part of it. Yeah, yeah that's always the do yes. no harm is always. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Don't fuck it up. Don't do what Elizabeth Warren did and try and, and make a, you know, turn a crisis into even more of a crisis when you're trying to course correct. Elrod, how you doing? Good. It's good to be, you know, across from you. It's been a while. I know. We've been doing a lot of phoners lately. Phoners, I know. Uh, before we get started with our special guest, can you believe that it's only been a week since Joe Biden announced his campaign? You know, I can and I can't. I can because I feel like we've been treating him like a candidate before he got in. So it doesn't surprise me that he's only been in a week. But then on the other hand, it is kind of crazy that he's only been in for one week. One week. But the field uh, and uh, as of today, there's a new uh, member of the field, Michael Bennett, announced as well, senator from Colorado. 
So uh, I there there may be a couple more candidates that jump in, but we're mm-hmm. I mean I think the field is pretty set. We have a general sense of I think a very good sense of who's going to be running and to help break all of this down is our friend uh, Perry Bacon, who is a senior writer at the great site 538. He writes about elections. He writes about the Trump White House. He writes about Capitol Hill. Uh, He's been uh, a reporter uh, at Time Magazine, at The Washington Post, uh, at NBC News. I'm sure many people have seen him on TV. He's a uh, regular analyst on a number of uh, networks. I met uh, Perry on the Dean campaign back in 2004, um, and uh, he's just a fantastic talent and a, a great writer and a reporter. And he's on he's he works at one of uh, Elrod and mine's favorite sites. So, Perry, welcome to the Electables. Uh, it's great to have you. Welcome, Perry. That was a great intro. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Good to be here. Anytime, buddy. Um, so let's just get right at it. Um, why don't we start with uh, your sort of 30,000-foot assessment of the Democratic field right now? Joe Biden is the favorite, the front runner. I struggle with which of those terms to use, but um, he, get, he was already leading in the polls. He got in the race, and all the polls I've seen suggest he's taken away numbers from Sanders and Harris and Warren, and Beto. I mean, he's a real, I would argue, he's the biggest force in the field right now, and he's definitely ahead. I think most of the polls I see suggest Sanders is, you know, Sanders is number two. And then I sort of put uh, Warren, Mayor Pete, Harris, and Beto in sort of three through six, depending on the poll. But those are sort of the next Four, but they're pretty far behind Sanders in some polls, and they're definitely behind Biden. Adrian and I, uh, I think for the last, at least the last two weeks, maybe even the last three weeks, as part of our Power Five rankings, which uh, I think you're going to help us do uh, this week, have had uh, Bernie, Senator Bernie Sanders as number one. And I think we have made the point over, up until probably this week, that he was the front runner based off of, one, you know, the polling. He had a great fundraising quarter, uh, the the sort of support that he has from the grassroots. Uh, and there was also, I think, on my part, I'm not going to speak for Adrian on this, but there was a little hesitation at putting Biden at number one until he was actually in the camp, in the race, officially, and we had a chance to look at how he and his campaign operated. And so, you know, we've had about a week, a little more than a week, What's your give us your assessment of how the Biden campaign has done so far? I think I'm with you guys, and and I'll, I don't want to speak for you, but my experience from covering him in '08 and a little bit at the White House too was like he was sort of beloved in part because people didn't really think of him as the candidate, you know. And so I sort of probably a few months ago thought of him as well. He's, you know, he's got this Obama halo over him. He's, you know, but when he actually gets in or gets close to it, you know, people will kind of come off of him. But so far, I mean, we're a weekend, like I said. We've also had really three months of speculation about Biden. We've had a lot, a fair amount of negative stories about Biden, and he's still doing well in the polls. I think the first week was good for him in that he immediately got in the race, started attacking Trump, 
and then Trump attacked Biden in response. And it did get, you know, the, the whole rationale of the Biden candidacy in some ways is I am the person best positioned to beat Trump. I'm electable. Trump's going to take me seriously. And on some level, like Biden's message played into that, which is like, you know, good on his part, but also the fundraising was good, which helped as well. I had some questions about his fundraising ability, but also it helped that Trump immediately started attacking Biden, which I think to a lot of voters gives them the sense that, oh, Trump takes Biden seriously. So that kind of plays into the idea that Biden is kind of the serious candidate in this race, the person who Trump sees himself as a potential person to beat Trump. So I think that all this whole week, I think, has been pretty good for Biden. I thought his initial interview on ABC, this um, ABC's The View, he wasn't great on answering questions about Anita Hill, but I thought he did an interview maybe Monday or Tuesday with Robin Roberts, and I thought he was better at addressing that issue. Mm-hmm. So I think it's been a pretty good rollout so far. So, Perry, I want to get into sort of some other folks in the, I guess I would call it the tier one field right now. What about Mayor Pete? Do you see him having staying power? Do you see him being sort of the flavor of the month right now? Or do you think he's somebody who is building a coalition and building a team that um, that is here to stay in terms of top-tier status? I mean, I'll, I might be wrong, but right now I see him as potentially flavor of the month. It sort of feels like the people who were excited about Beto O'Rourke in January and February are excited about Mayor Pete in, you know, in March and April and May. And so I don't know that I see a lot of evidence right now staying power. If you look at the polls, you, you see a lot of evidence that he's, he's got sort of a, you know, the Howard Dean, Bill Bradley kind of upper educated mm-hmm. uh, liberals, very little evidence he's getting many black voters. So right now, I would not, I'm not sure that I see much more than the potential to, of 10 to 15 percent, um, because I think one thing you're seeing in the polls is that Biden is doing really, really well among Democrats over 50 versus under 50. You have five or six people getting some of the vote. And I think a lot of people are sort of not sure if they like Warren or Beto or Buttigieg or Harris. And I think that that lane of people who want to want a more liberal, younger nominee is a really crowded lane. So I could see like uh, Buttigieg losing some points to say Warren if people decide they like her policy versus more. So I think he might be I'm not ready to say he has staying power at this point. And Perry, I think you bring up a really good point about Mayor Pete so far not being able to uh, really put together a diverse coalition of voters because the bottom line is this, and this is something I think our listeners um, should really keep in mind. If you are a Democrat running for the Democratic nomination for president, you simply cannot do well in a primary if you do not have African-American supporters. And I don't just mean like two or three in a handful of states. I mean, you've got to be able to build a strong coalition and make and, and, and have African-American voters on your side. You simply cannot win. Um, that was a problem that Bernie had in 2016, running against Hillary Clinton. And that is something that obviously Bernie Sanders is still having now. And if Mayor Pete is not able to make inroads into a more diverse coalition and to build on, you know, just these kind of, you know, white yuppie voters, he's going to have a real hard time, to your point, Perry, really breaking out of that 10% um, part of the pack. Perry, I also like to chat with you about delegate strategy. Um, you know, I know your expertise is obviously in polling and, and obviously a number of other issues. 
But something that I we've talked a lot about on the show, and Doug knows how obsessed I am with the delegate strategy and how the campaigns um, will start sort of, you know, building out their delegate strategy and activating it. One thing that I think is important to keep in mind and that it's oftentimes not talked about enough is the fact that the way the Democratic Party delegate process is structured, a candidate has to get 15 percent in a congressional district in order to even qualify for delegates in that district. Talk to me a little bit about how you see maybe some of these tier two candidates, the Amy Klobuchar's, to an extent, the Cory Booker's, um, you know, maybe even, um, I don't know, I mean, you know, maybe maybe a Steve Bullock could be put in this category too. We'll see if he gets in the race. But how do you see some of those tier two candidates who are sort of in the seven, eight, nine percent range? How do you see them building out a strategy that's effective when it comes to being able to amass delegates? So that's the counter to the point I made about Pete's base maybe being not that broad. Is I would like in a field this big, I would rather have an intense base than anything else. Like you can like what, you know Bernie Sanders. I think can you can imagine getting. 15 to 20 percent, you know, in all the states he's in. He's got a very intense base. I'd love to have that over anything else. Like my, like my concern, if I'm like Booker, for example, is I, I think there's a potential where Booker is like everybody's second or third choice, but nobody's first choice. Like he's acceptable to everyone, intensely liked by no one. And I think that I think a lot of candidates are in that place now where you want to have like some intense base to start with like you know like the way harris has run she's emphasized you know black women a lot and i think that's smart as a approach to if i can have my quote-unquote lane Mm -hmm. that's helpful to and then you can broaden out from that because i do think klobuchar has a big problem i think in that she's kind of running as the electability candidate but when you got joe biden in the race right that's going to make it more challenging to do that um, some of these other candidates are one or two percent, so I think they're way below talking about delegates with. But even even the mid, even if you're Beto or Rourke right now, I think you've got to be thinking: Is there a fifteen percent for me right now? Like who are Beto's and who are his intense supporters right now? And I don't know that I know who those people are. Hey Perry, I just wanted to get your thoughts on who. Who do you think has underperformed so far? We've been in this campaign. You know, it's been four months. I think they're clearly say that PP's beat expectations. Who has been underwhelming to you? I would say, like, I don't, I think if, I think I talked to some of Joe Biden's people in January and February, and they were not sure if they were going to run or not. And I, and I mean, I don't want to be too harsh, but if Beto or Harris or Booker were polling well and had really galvanized support, I'm not sure Joe Biden would be in this race. Like, you know, like, I don't think we should necessarily expect them to win the black vote, but the fact that Biden is leading over Harris and Booker in, among African-Americans in every poll is part of why he got in the race. So I do. So I would think, talk about those three people, Beto, Booker, and um, Beto, Booker, and Harris, as people who I, coming into this race, thought were probably three of the strongest candidates, and the fact that Biden is outpolling them so early on, and not just that, I think Warren has a profile, at least, whatever you think about her, people know she's the candidate of ideas. Pete has you know, been able to be the candidate of like freshness and newness. I don't think if you ask people what has Kamala, you know, Kamala had a good moment 
um, in the hearing uh, with William Barr yesterday. But until then, I think it'd be hard. I think a lot of voters, if you ask them when I talk to them, they're like they like Booker, they like Beto, they like Harris. None of those three, I don't think, have done a particularly good job of saying, I'm running for president for this one thing, and this is what my candidacy is really about. I think if you ask people what Barney's campaign is about, what Warren's campaign is about, Mm -hmm. people could tell you. And I think right now those three people are really talented, but I don't think they're really, you know, I think their message has not been particularly strong. I'd have a hard time saying what is Beto's campaign about. I think I'd have a hard time saying that right now, what are his two or three themes? I would have trouble naming those. Yeah, I think you raise a really important point, Perry, because it it has been surprising that, you know, before Joe Biden got really got into this race, I mean, Bernie Sanders was really the one who was, um, you know, in poll after poll leading the pack of those candidates who are announced. And nobody has really been able to sort of break out of that, you know, 9 to 10% range. I mean, Kamala Harris does in some polls, it depends, and Elizabeth Warren does as well. But You know, Cory Booker is somebody who's really surprised me. And if you talk to his team, they will say, look, this is part of our strategy. We are, um, you know, we're sort of, I think, Mignon Moore very aptly uh, named Cory Booker the the tortoise of this primary when she was on our podcast um, a a while back, (laughs) which which I still agree to agree with, because I think their view is, look, you know, we we've got a strategy in place. We are plotting our delegate strategy. We've got, you know, we'd rather be where we are right now than be a front runner. But I'm not sure that, you know, it's while it's early, I'm not sure that there's a lot of time, um, you know, for somebody like Cory Booker to all of a sudden surge to be tier one. We'll see when the debates happen um, and how those shake out and if people have a breakout moment that really allows them to move forward. But I'm not sure that I see that happening. I mean, do you, Perry? Do you think, you know, it, it's early, but do you see – some of these folks like Klobuchar and, and Cory Booker being able to really move to solid tier one status. I do think that because a lot of the polling shows that like Joe Biden is known by pretty much all Democrats. His name ID is basically a hundred percent in the CNN poll recently, mm-hmm. even though, you know, like you, like all of us know Amy Klobuchar. I, mean, I feel like I've been covering her my entire life. I feel like mm-hmm. Cory Booker's been running president my entire life, literally. But there's the evidence in the polls is about, about a third of Democrats don't say they don't have an opinion about Cory Booker or Gillibrand or Klobuchar. Like these senators in particular, I think, are well known for people who follow politics and not that well known to voters. So I do think there's a potential when the debates are happening, people are watching, that even somebody like Cory Booker who feels known is not that known and that they have a moment. So I do think it is early and and the name ID factor does matter. The fact that Biden and Bernie are sort of more famous than everybody else's does matter. So I don't think it's like – so I wouldn't write off Biden or Klobuchar or Gillibrand yet. Well, I, I guess I would say – I the one thing I would say has surprised me most about this primary so far – you know, 2018 was the year of the female candidate in a lot of ways in the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. But when I talk to voters, particularly women voters, the first thing they often tell me is, I like Kamala, I like Warren, I'm not sure they can win, so, I, so I'm thinking about Pete or Beto or Biden. So I think this, like if you're Gillibrand or you're one of the female candidates, I do think that you are well-known, and some people who actually like you are sort of being strategic in a way that I think, you know, morally I think is problematic. I worry people 
are, you know, people should vote for, I don't want, I, I'm very worried about a process in which we say women can't win because one woman lost a very narrow race right. that had a lot of factors involved. That's it. If voters feel this way, and I can tell a lot of them do, this is a barrier to Gillibrand and Warren and Klobuchar and Harris, that these women have been a lot of voters, particularly women, have sort of internalized Hillary losing as a, I can't take a risk on a woman. I think that has surprised me. Like when I read about Stacey Abrams might run for president, like I respect Stacey Abrams a ton. But I really think it's going to be a lift for a black woman to be considered electable in this race. And my guess is if you ask Kamala staff, they would tell you this is something they are flustered by, too. And on that note, Perry, I, I do find that interesting in some respects, and sometimes I don't, because I do think that people are so concerned right now about beating Donald Trump. And for you know a litany of reasons, a lot of Democratic prim- primary party primary voters see somebody like Joe Biden, a man, standing on stage, on that debate stage with Trump and being the best one to take him on. Let me ask you this, Perry, when you're having conversations with voters out on, out on the road and you're, and you're talking about, you know, the, whether women are actually electable against Trump, do you think some voters think that because women did do so well in 2018, you know, won a record number of down-ballot seats, obviously picked up, you know, a ton of seats in Congress, um, really shattered tons of records up and down the ballot. Do you think that some voters think, okay, you know what, we did our part. We, you know, Hillary Clinton narrowly lost for a number of reasons, but we did our part in 2018, and now we just got to beat Trump. And we, the only way we can do that is with a man. Do you think? Do you have conversations with people about factoring in 2018 into their into their rationale? around this? No, they really don't think about 2018. There, there is more much of it's much more about Hillary. Like voters I talk to feel like Hillary faced a lot of sexism and they feel like Trump won by playing up racial issues. These things are not, these are, these are not wrong views, by the way. These things are, there's some, a lot of reasons to think these things are both true, that Trump won by playing up racial issues and that some and that Hillary was covered differently and treated because she's a woman. So I think it's less about 2018 and more just kind of a Hillary effect and also a feeling that Trump is so bad. We've got to get rid of him. And even if I don't love Biden and also part of it is people like it's not like Biden is something they don't like. A lot of Democrats love Biden. A lot of Democrats really like Beto. So I think part of it is like the white male candidates are well liked and perceived as electable in a certain way. But let me turn it around briefly to ask you guys. I have been surprised by the focus on electability, but you guys sound like you have not been surprised. Are you not surprised by it? I haven't been surprised, mainly because for the longest time, the polling showed that that was the number one issue for voters uh, who among Democratic voters. Who can who has the best shot at beating Donald Trump? And that uh, surpassed. You know, ideology. You know, questions related to ideological purity, or who's sort of most closely aligned with me on particular issues. So I haven't really been particularly surprised by that, and quite frankly, that's one of the reasons why I thought, um, you know, Biden would be would do so well is because I think you know for the longest time he's been viewed by the by Democrats as being the best person who can take on take on Trump and. Um, and I also haven't been surprised. We touched on this earlier. I haven't been surprised at the polling. This, you know, it's early, but showing that Biden's doing very well with African Americans. I think that there was a rush to judgment that people just sort of assume that the 
black voters would immediately support the black candidates. And, you know, I mean, I just it's a bit insulting. But um, I also think that, you know, black voters like every other voter wants to, you know, is going to going to hear candidates out. And also they know Joe Biden. They know him really well. They know his relationship to the to the president. I think they appreciate how he he stood with him and also all the things that they did in office. Um, I always thought it was going to be a little hard for Booker and Kamala to 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 break through with that uh, set of voters, given if if Biden got in. Yeah. And I, you know, I guess I'm not terribly surprised either. I kind of am and I kind of am not. But I, I think what's different about this election is that the number one priority of Democratic Party voters is, ta- is is defeating Trump. It's not, oh, I want to change my health. Of course, I mean, look, obviously, any time your party's not in power, you want to defeat the president of the party that's not in power to your, to the favor of your party. But in this election, people are just so worried about Trump getting another four years that they're willing to put, a, you know, aside, you know, the their their exact feelings on health care. I mean, sure, health care does matter to them, but it's a lower priority than electability. Um, and I think that that is what's so interesting about the issue priorities and the priority of Democratic Party voters this time around is that they just they want to do whatever it takes to defeat Trump. And I also think that that's why Howard Schultz had such a significant backlash when he came out and flirted with the notion of running as a third party candidate because people know that he can put a lot, he's not necessarily appealing, but people know that he can put a lot of his own personal wealth into a third party run, which could really screw things up for Democrats. Speaking of Perry, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. What are your feelings about, you know, and, and by the way, I want to caveat what I'm about to say with the fact that I don't think that we talk enough about the impact and effect that third party candidates, including Green Party candidates who get one point five to two percent of the national vote in 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 general elections. What are your feelings about the way a really you know potentially strong third party candidate, how would that candidate potentially impact Democratic vote voters versus Republican voters? You know, we did some we looked into the Schultz idea at 538 a couple different ways and it's hard to i mean because he's basically like socially liberal kind of economically more moderate so it's just kind of hard to figure out exactly where he would fit like if it's like my sense is what he's hinting at is if sanders or warren is the nominee he's going to run saying they're too extreme on economics and Trump is too extreme on like racial issues. That's kind of my sense of where Mm -hmm. he would go. And then I would, and I don't, and the answer to that is I don't like in Wisconsin, it depends on what state. Like, so part of the swing vote in 2018 was kind of more economically populist people went to the Democrats. So in that sense, like if I'm in Wisconsin, I'm not sure how big the Howard Schultz constituency is. Like that, like that feels to me like he's not a big dip. Like I don't think there's a lot of people who are sort of. He's very culturally liberal. I don't think there's a ton of people in Wisconsin who are dying to vote for Howard Schultz. That's not their kind of centrism. But if you're looking at like suburban Georgia, like these, like in Georgia's a kind of a complicated swing state. But look at Arizona and Georgia, where the Democrats won by winning in the suburbs. Where you're talking about percent of upper income people who already have health care, but who are worried about how Trump talks about immigration and so on. That's where I would think Schultz could make an impact where he pulls from Bernie Sanders or Warren and helps the Republicans win. So I think 
Like, I would like to sort of look at Schultz kind of state by state, because, again, I don't think the Howard Schultz is interesting in, like, Pennsylvania, I think, is fairly tiny. But I think in some of these states where there's a big kind of moderate economics, liberal, suburban voters is kind of where I would want to look at with Schultz. And I do think he could be a factor. It also depends on he's been doing this, you know, tour around the country and I don't get the sense he's overly charismatic to be polite about it. Mm-hmm. So I, so I do, th- I do think his actual performance as a candidate may not be that strong, but I think you're mentioning, you're mentioning an interesting point, which is that one thing I was, I wrote a bit last week was that, or a couple weeks ago was that we think about the Obama Trump voter a lot. That, that person did matter in 2016, but there was also the Obama, the person who voted for Obama that didn't vote at all. That was about, Six seven percent, like the drop-off voters, and the oh, people who voted for Obama then voted for Jill Stein or Gary Johnson. That's a big group too. So it's it is worth thinking about. Like if if a if the Democratic candidate can ins- can win the Obama Trump voters, that obviously is important. But it also if they can inspire younger people and minorities who may have stayed home in 2016, that's useful too. And that to me is not necessarily Joe Biden. Hey, Perry, just quick question. Uh, you guys have a great hub for polling on uh, the 538 website, um, and you grade the polling outfits. I'm just curious, what is the criteria? Uh, you know, each, you give each polling outfit a B plus and yeah. A. What's that based on? Okay, so I, I don't. This is not the department I work in. Okay, but I'm let me sorry. Get, I, but, my, so, but I'll quickly answer that I think part of it is looking at how their results turned out, and part of it is looking at, look at their methodology. Like, they, do, they, do they have large enough sample sizes and things like right. that? Like, if somebody has a poll that has 100 people in it, we don't take that very seriously. Right. And I ask because I'm looking at the most the poll at the top right now. It's a national poll, Suffolk University, that was uh, in the field from, uh, from April 25th to 28th. And in it, uh, uh, Sanders is at twelve um, percent, and it's a New Hampshire poll. And I'm just I'm just curious because, you know, he won New Hampshire with sixty percent of the vote, and we're seeing right now um, in New Hampshire, you know, even without Biden in the race, he was around twenty four, twenty five. He was leading the pack, but it was. Less, it was less than half of what he had before. And so, you know, I've brought this up before, and, I, and Adrian has as well. Uh, I think that's really concerning for the Sanders campaign. What do you think? I mean, what um, happened me, to all that support? I, I mean, well, uh, the field is so, I mean, you know, I don't want to hurt Adrian's feelings here, <laughs> but I do think a fair amount of Bernie's support in 2016 was anti-Hillary and not pro-Bernie. Can you guys hear me still? Yep. Yeah, yep. we can hear you. So I, so I, so I think that, so I, I never expected him to keep. So I always thought, like we, and Nate did a piece. Nate Silver did a piece about this about a month ago, that a fair amount of Bernie support, particularly in places in West Virginia, were voters who were not only who were anti-Hillary to the point where they didn't vote for Hillary in the general election either. So I do think part of like the Bernie appeal the whole time has been kind of voters who are like anti-establishment, anti-party. And so now they have a lot of choices. And you see in some of the data, too, that like you think of Bernie's super left and Biden's not, but Biden is taking support from Bernie, which suggests to me there's some sort of more moderate, 
probably older voters than Bernie supports. So I think Bernie's still the favorite in New Hampshire. I haven't seen the whole polling average in New Hampshire. But if I had to put money in the favorite in New Hampshire, I think Bernie's still the favorite. But I still think he would. But I think right now, if the result were today, he would get like 35% or 30% in New Hampshire, not anywhere near 60 fascinating. And Perry, one last question for you. Um, We have not talked about the, um, you know, I guess, elephant in the room, elephant at the White House, Donald Trump. Um, In a general election, what do you think? I mean, what are his chances? Even no, no matter who the Democratic nominee is, do you think he is somebody that a Democrat can beat in 2020? So there was a CNN poll that came out this week, and it showed like Trump was losing all the head-to-heads. Like he was behind Buttigieg. He was really he was behind, underwater. Right. He was behind. He was behind not just Biden and not just Biden, but he was behind Sanders. He was behind Warren. He was behind Harris. Like, do I totally believe that? I'm not sure. And also, we know that the national, the, the election is not a national poll, and so mm-hmm. the you know, and so it, you know, it, so the national number is not not totally helpful. But I do think that a candidate whose approval rating is 40% and with 55% of people saying they will not vote for the person, I do at times think all the Democrats are electable because Donald Trump is going to have a hard time winning. Do like, you believe in the methodology? Not... Sorry to interrupt. Do you believe in the yeah, methodology yeah, of that yeah. polling? We've seen a lot of polls that have showed Trump underwater and a lot of people beating him head to head. Like, I, do I think he is going? Do I think every Democrat is ahead of him? I'm not sure, but I generally do think that he's like weaker than the average incumbent. He's weaker. He's obviously weaker than Obama was in 2012. He's weaker than Bush was in 2004. He's much weaker than Clinton in '96. So I do think he's he's like I wouldn't I don't I don't know what I would put his percentage at. He's an incumbent. The economy's good. But but we just had I mean we just had an election in which you know the Republicans were repudiated in like close race after close race. So I do think that both it's like important to keep two ideas in our head at the same time. Trump is an incumbent and the economy is good, so he certainly could win re-election. But also that he he is extremely unpopular and and he and he's an anchor and it's going to be very hard for him to win re-election, no matter who the candidate is, because people don't want to. And I think he's doing the right thing, which you can already tell that Trump's approach to winning re-election is going to be to basically suggest that Joe Biden is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, just older and male. Like, he, that is the campaign they're going to run, is like, no matter who the Democrat is, they are a socialist, liberal crazy. And because I think that Joe, I mean, uh, Trump has to run a negative campaign. And I, that's one thing I, I, I'd be curious about when we have the election is like Hillary's numbers by the end of the campaign were her negatives were very high, almost at Trump's. And a lot of people thought that meant that Hillary was maybe a bad candidate, maybe the wrong nominee. I wonder in today's politics, which are so much based on negative partisanship, that no matter who the Democratic nominee is, Trump is going to spend so much money and so much time attacking them, that person will end up with pretty high negatives too. We may be in, a part, in, a, in an era in politics in which sort of like – Everybody votes against the other party as opposed to for the person in their party. Like it may be hard to love whoever's in your party by the time they've been attacked by attacked for months and months and months in a very personal way. So I do think there might be something to Trump is unpopular, but the Democratic nominee may also be very unpopular at the end of the process. Right. Good point. 
The great Perry Bacon. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on the Electables today, Perry. We gotta we gotta have you back periodically as our uh, special correspondent. All right, appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks, guys. This was fun. Thank you, Perry.